Father God, we just want to say thank you so much for this day and for the opportunity we have to be here together. God, we thank you for what this day means. Lord, we, we thank you for Sunday and we thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship you and to sing your praises, but also we thank you for Father's Day. Lord, none of us would be here without them. Lord, there might be people here this morning who don't have their dad anymore. And Lord, people may not have had the greatest dad. And, but God, you call each of us, Lord. You use our lives in so many different ways. And so many of us, Lord, we may have learned a lot of lessons of what not to do in order to be a better father. But God, we just want to say thank you. We thank you for life. We thank you for our dads. I pray, God, that you would be with them today and help them to feel honored and respected. Lord, they make so many sacrifices. None of us are perfect, but God, they work and they are there. They discipline, they do things that are hard, and a lot of times they take on a lot of the, the hard work. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless them for that today. And God, call us all to you so that we can all serve you better and be better fathers. Lord, be with us as we read your word, as we continue on in our sermon, God, in our series. God, I pray that you would speak and work and move in an incredible way. That you'd use some of these things that we don't talk about a whole lot to really dig into our lives and show us things that we need to do better in, God, that we need to surrender to you more. Father, we love you today. We thank you so much for the ability to be here, to worship you, and just to call you our Heavenly Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, happy Father's Day. Um, I like to to listen to comedians, and I was listening to a comedian one time talk about Father's Day being like, number 20 or 20-something on the list of most celebrated holidays. It's like you have Christmas, which is number one, and Mother's Day is number two, and then Father's Day is like 20. And he was saying that he, I can't even think of 18 other holidays that, would, that even exist other than Father's Day. Um, but Father's Day is kind of one of those weird days that it doesn't seem like it gets celebrated a whole lot. Uh, and it doesn't seem like it comes with as much momentum. I was joking with my wife. I was like, that's because we know that if, if we don't honor y'all, y'all cry about it, but we'll be okay if we don't get a whole lot of recognition on Mother's Day. But no, um, I do want to challenge you guys, wives, children, understand, it, just like in a relationship with parents, the fact that a mother can do things that a man just cannot do. God has gifted you with the ability to do that. God has also gifted the man to be able to do things that a woman cannot do. And make sure that you allow and support your husbands and the fathers in their roles because there are ways that your children need them in ways that you cannot provide for them. You with me today? That's super, super important. Even if they're not perfect, even if they don't do everything that you want them to do, they still need to be there. It's very important for them to be a part of your, your children's lives to guide them and help lead them, especially spiritually. So dads, lead them spiritually more than anything. If you can do that, you will have accomplished everything the Lord needs you to accomplish in their lives. Lead them spiritually. You're supposed to be the spiritual leader of the family. So with that, let's get back to our sermon. We're talking about unspoken sins of the church. And today our sermon is temper, temper. How fitting for Father's Day. 
right? Now, typically, we, uh, we always associate with uh, men losing their temper and kind of like being a little more aggressive in their temper. But our culture and society has, has gotten to a point here lately where we have just like elevated and we really have gotten to the point where we celebrate when people lose their cool, right? When they tell people off, when we pitch hissy fits, throw temper tantrums, fight, do all this stuff. I mean, like movies and TV shows, like all these dramas and everything that comes out now on TV, it celebrates people fighting and arguing with each other and calling each other names and just constant anger being present. We celebrate that. Even in culture, when, when people don't get what they want, now we just write, we tear things up, we destroy stuff whenever we don't get what we want. And stuff like that is honored and it's seen as, yes, these people are standing up for themselves. And I want to challenge you today because you as people, if you're a person, all right, you're going to get angry. You are. You're going to get mad. You're going to have some sort of temper. And we all handle it and display it in different ways. But I want to challenge you to understand that God has called you away from being like the world. And he's called you to a life of holiness. He's called you to be different and to be set apart from the world. And so while the world may be celebrating anger and temper tantrums and really standing up for yourself and fighting for yourself, it's very important to remember that God has not called you to be like them. He's called you to be very different in your life. That's huge. Because every natural instinct within you, when you get angry, is going to be to display that anger in a way that communicates, I'm angry. Right? However you communicate it, whether it's with words that you say, if you get mad and you pick stuff up and throw it, if you start hitting, kicking, and fighting, and screaming, pulling hair, children do it, adults do it, right? We all fall victim to it. It's a part of our daily lives. You deal with it in your marriage, right? Any of you ever been mad at your spouse before? Don't lie. You know you have. You deal with it with your children. Have you ever been mad at your kids before? Absolutely. Any kid, you ever been mad at your parent before? Absolutely. Happy Father's Day. Okay? You deal with it with your siblings. Any of you wanted to kill your brother or sister before? Absolutely. Me and this one right here, we had our battles growing up. We used to fight all the time. You deal with it on your job with coworkers. You deal with it with your bosses. If you happen to be in leadership at your job, you deal with it with your employees or your subordinates. It's a part of our daily life. I mean, even with you being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and you go to church, you know that if you're around somebody long enough, you're going to get in a fight with them, right? I mean, there was like a limit whenever we were little on how long a friend could stay at each other's house because if you hung around each other long enough, you were going to start fighting, I see two friends over in the corner and be like, yep, that's right. We spent more than two or three days together. We're ready to kill each other. If you spend enough time around people, you're going to get angry. Feelings are going to be hurt. You're going to be done wrong. People are going to make mistakes. People are going to purposefully do things to hurt you and cross you, even inside the church. And as we talk about this, I want you to understand, like so many of these things we've been talking about over the past couple weeks, there's hundreds of passages of scripture that deal directly with anger. And like I could just we could sit here and just read scripture all day. 
But I picked out some main ones that I really wanted to focus on, and especially the ones because there's, there's three things that I felt like really kept getting pointed out as I kept reading through passages of Scripture, and those will be our three points this morning. But let's start with the book of James. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, he's writing... And he says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Wise words automatically. These are things that we know. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Verse 20 says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You with me today? You take number 20. And you underline it, you highlight it, you mark it in your Bible, and you read it over and over and over again because you are going to get angry about all kinds of different things. And in the midst of anger, you may have every right to be angry. Someone may have done something to you or against you or said something to you that was absolutely wrong and everybody, you know, the seven point something, almost eight billion people in the world might agree with you that they were wrong and you're going to want to get angry. But you need to remember in your life that human anger does not produce the kind of righteousness that God desires from you. And the whole point of today's message is, is that God wants more from you and he wants more for you. You with me? Because it's not just about what you can give God, but it's about what God also wants to give you in this process. And if you allow anger to be such a dominating part of your life, you are going to rob yourself from what God has for you, and you're also going to rob God from what you can give him. And we don't talk about anger a whole lot. Actually, we make allowance for people's anger because we're like, yeah, I can understand why they get mad about that, right? You know, we make allowance for anger because it's like, oh, yeah, if they did that to me, I'd do. We start snapping our fingers and waving. Like, oh. we, we celebrate it. We talk about all the things that we would do. And we sit around and we contemplate, well, if they did that to me, I know this is what I'd do. And a lot of times we talk each other up. But when the situation happens to us, we don't always respond the way that we say that we would, do we? But we talk other people into doing it. We're instigators. We like to see when people get mad. It's entertaining, isn't it? You ever been somewhere and just watch people fight out in public? It's very entertaining. The sinful side of me knows that it's entertaining. I've watched a lot of fights. I pulled over on the side of the road just watched somebody fight one time. It's entertaining, but it's not godly. Human anger does not produce the type of righteousness that God wants from us, and that's something we need to understand. Our natural instinct is to display our anger, to communicate it in a worldly, humanistic way, And God has anger, and God can display it in a perfect way, in a right way, but we're not God. And anger, is it it belongs to him. Now, we can be angry, but when we display it, we can never do it in a way that honors God, that's the righteousness that he desires for us. You with me today? This This is hard to understand. Because everything within you is going to say, I need to stand up for myself. I need to say what's on my mind. I need to do this. I need to do that. And we have to be really careful because this sermon is not a sermon that just calls you to lay down and to be a coward and to just take whatever somebody gives you and to be a pushover in life. That's not what this is saying. But what it is saying is is that you need to be very careful whenever you allow anger to take hold of your life in a way that you choose to display it. 
Because the way that you vent and allow your anger to come from you is either going to be giving in to Satan and what he wants to do, which is bring division and animosity and keep refueling that fire, or you can do it in a way that honors God. And there's a very fine line there. You with me today? One of the greatest testimonies that you could give in your life is to experience something where the rest of the world looks at you and says, dude, if that happened to me, I don't know what I'd do. I'd set the world on fire if that happened to me. I'd be so mad. But if you take it and you handle it in a godly way and you respond in a godly way, it is one of the greatest witnesses that you will ever be able to give because it proves to everyone else that this is the way that you are supposed to handle it. This is the way that God expects you to handle it, and it's possible to handle it this way. You with me today? It's very important. And then you look at verse 21, it says, So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your soul. We believe in a God who has the power to save us, to rescue us, to forgive us of sin, right? You believe in God's word? That's something you need to to decide right quick. Because if you believe in God's word, then you have to believe in what he says. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And so understanding from the get-go, according to God's word, when I get angry, even though I might be justified in my anger, it does not produce anything that brings about righteousness. You with me today? And there are three things that this points to. Point number one, your temper is a direct reflection of your wisdom. When you begin to read Scripture, there's tons of passages of Scripture that talks about anger and wisdom. And you're constantly like looking at the balance of the two and how one does not feed into the other. So, Proverbs 29, verse 11. It says, Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. How many of you have ever been angry before? Raise your hand. Everybody, raise your hand. You've been angry before. There's been a time where you said, I'd kill him if I could get away with it. There's been a time where you've said that in your life. I guarantee you. Fools give vent to their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. How many of you would consider yourself a fool? <laughs> Some of us, not every, nobody. I mean, like most of us would not consider ourselves a fool. All right, but when you look at Scripture and, and remind yourself, do I believe in God's word? Do I believe what it says? Am I going to live according to Scripture? And, and Scripture says that anger. Labels us as a fool. That fools vent their anger. And so there are times in your life where you're just like, you want to, you're so angry about something, you just like, you've got to let it out. You've got to say a word. You've got to call somebody a name. You've got to pick something up and throw it. You've got to punch a hole in the wall. You've you got to do something. You, and you're going to feel the, these carnal sins in your life come about where you want to display it in such a way where you're just like, I'm, you know, You want to tell everybody, I'm angry, and this is what I'm going to do. You're going to feel that in your life coming up. But the Bible talks about fools venting their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. You see, in your life, you have to understand, there's spiritual wisdom and there's worldly wisdom. You with me? 
Spiritual wisdom, worldly wisdom. You could be wise in one and not the other. There are people in the world who are disciplined enough and wise enough to understand that if you can control your anger, you'll be a lot better off. You with me today? But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a spiritual person. Most people, most people, if you're worldly, have worldly wisdom, you probably don't have a whole lot of spiritual wisdom. There's very few people who have spiritual wisdom and worldly wisdom, okay? So you can have worldly wisdom without having spiritual wisdom. But spiritual wisdom is the most important. Just because you can control your anger doesn't necessarily mean that you have a good relationship with God. You with me today? There are some people who's just realized it and that it's smarter not to, that you can go further by controlling your anger and let other people hang themselves in their anger and you not giving in to it and they end up losing and you end up winning. A smart person realizes that. It's the way the world works. Seen a lot of friends, a lot of people get mad, walk out on jobs and quit and as soon as they do it, they regret it. They were mad in the moment, sounded good at the time and then they regret it. A lot of people say words to their spouses, say words to their kids, and once you say it, you can't ever take it back. And it felt good in the moment when you just had to say it, and 20 minutes later after you like <gasps> able to take a deep breath, and you're sitting there thinking about what you said or what you've done, you're just like, I'm an idiot. I can't believe I did that. You with me today? So even from a worldly perspective, there's worldly wisdom that shows you you shouldn't do this, but from a spiritual perspective... You have to understand that anger is not only harming you in your physical life, but it's harming you in your spiritual life too. It's not only robbing you from good things to happen in this world, but it's robbing you from your relationship with God and what he's called you to do, what he's calling to to have from you and what he's calling for you. You with me today? This this is so important. And, And you have to remember there are bigger things at stake than just you being able to throw a temper tantrum like a child. That's what it comes down to. Now, I've probably told you this story before. I'll tell it again. I'll tell, it. I'll tell this story as long as I'm able to be in ministry and talk about this because this is one of the big things in my life. When I preach to you about most things, most of the things I'm struggling with in my own life or I've struggled with at some point in time in my life, in the past, anger is one of those things. So when I was 19, maybe 20 years old, I was doing ministry down at Eden, across town, um, doing youth ministry. And I was working part-time for my grandpa. And my grandpa was kind of getting to the point where he really couldn't do a whole lot anymore. So he says, listen, I need my oil change in my truck. I want you to take my truck down there and get the oil change on it. But I want you to mark the oil filter because I heard that this guy is changing the oil and charging people for oil filters, but not changing the oil filters. So I crawl underneath the truck, mark his oil filter, take the truck down there, get the oil change, come back, crawl underneath the truck, and cheers the world. It's the same oil filter with my Sharpie marker on it. And I was furious. And, and like, so I was like, I'm going back and I'm getting back in this truck. I'm going down, I'm going to let this guy have it. Like, and my grandpa's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. And, and this is what he said, Wisdom, okay? Wisdom. He says, if he can live with it, I can. We just won't go back to him no more. And I was mad at my grandpa for not letting me go down there and chew this guy out. I mean, like, so I was mad at the guy and then mad at my grandpa. And in, in my mind, I'm sitting here thinking, like, why can we not go tell this guy what we think about him? Because I was young and dumb and spiritually immature and worldly immature. 
like there was still some things that God was working on in my life. The moral of that story is, is that probably a month or two later, this kid shows up at my youth group and he's dating one of my girls in my youth group. It just so happens that this kid is the grandson of the guy who changed the oil and he actually lives with him. He was his guardian. His, his grandpa was his guardian, lived with him. And so then I was like having to have a relationship and minister to this teenager. And then I was having to go and visit and talk with his grandpa and grandma and minister to them as part of the youth group. And what would have happened if I went up there and told him what I thought about him? How awesome do you think it would have been for me to show up at his house a few months later as the youth pastor who went up there and blessed the guy out and told him how terrible of a person he was and how he was a cheat? the relationship would have never began. There's always something bigger at stake. It's such a, there's so many things in my life that I can just point to and just say, like, I know God was working in that moment, in that situation. It's like God has a purpose and a plan. There's so much more out there that's bigger in your life than just you throwing a hissy fit at any given moment in time so you'll feel better in that moment. Because you know after you say it or you do it, or you swing, or you break something, or you act like a fool, you can't take it back. People will always remember you for that. People will always recall that memory because those things stick out to us more than anything, don't they? Even in relationships. The moment you say something, and you may not even mean it, you just said it out of anger because you knew it would hurt them. And the moment that you say something, you'll never be able to take it back. And a lot of times, like, the relationship will never be the same from that point on. And it's not necessarily about being violent or even abusive or physical in any way. A lot of times, it's just what we say. Proverbs 14, 29 says, People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. See it again? Wisdom. Foolishness, control, letting it go. You have to understand in your life that God calls you to be better than the world. He calls you to be more than what the world is. So much of Scripture is devoted to the communication of how foolish unleashing our anger is. And each of us have fallen prey to it. You know, we've all let it go at some point in time. We've all said the words. We've got mad. We threw something. We've broke something. Maybe we've even been physical at some point in time in our life. We've all fallen prey to it at some point in time. There's been a time where you've disciplined your kid out of anger and not out of because they needed the discipline. You, you, you with me? It's like sometimes you, in the moment, we don't discipline from the right reasons. We discipline out of anger and frustration rather than because my kid needs to understand that this was wrong. It's so important to realize that your temper and your anger and how you display that is a direct reflection of your spiritual and worldly wisdom. And you need to understand that more than anything, it points to your spiritual wisdom. The way that you display your anger can be such an amazing witness to people if you do it in a good, healthy, godly way if you communicate it in a good, healthy, and godly way, not to unleash it, not to vent it, but to do it in a way that is pleasing and honoring and uplifting and pointing people to God. 
And that's very hard to do. That is a fine line that I'm going to tell you. And that's one of those things. It's almost like you're wearing, you ever seen somebody wear the drunk goggles? It's like when you're mad, it's almost like you got the drunk goggles on and the line just moves and you can't figure out exactly where the line is. It's extremely difficult. We need help from God to do that. Point number two, your temper will control you if you don't control it. I don't know of anything that is more like being drunk or high for someone than when they are enraged. You think about when people are on drugs or they're drunk and they do and they say things that they would not normally do. It's not who they are. And when we are angry and we're enraged, we do and say things that are not who we normally are, right? And we always regret it afterwards, don't we? We always do. Even if we do something, and say, like even the people that we don't like, you know, like we know, we know even if we don't like somebody, if we're mean to them or we're hateful or do something with them, we may not ever like feel really guilty for it, but we know God is pricking our conscience as soon as we do it and we calm down. We're like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. I may never admit it, but I probably shouldn't have done that. But it will control you if you don't control it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he's writing about church relations. He's writing about how Christian brothers and sisters should deal with one another. And he says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Now, that's important to understand is that it's okay to be angry. You're going to be angry. There are going to be emotions that you feel in, in your life. You're going to be angry about stuff. There's, somebody's going to do something or say something, or your spouse, your children. Something is going to happen that you're going to get angry. But sin sets in when you let it control you. When you get to the point where you just start venting it and unleashing it without the control in your life to be able to do it in a godly way or just sitting back and letting yourself calm down before you decide to make a decision. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives foothold to the devil. You with me today? None of us would ever sit here and like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home today. I'm just going to open up that door, and I'm going to let Satan right on in. I'm going to let him have control of my life. I'm going to let him in. I'm going to let him wreak havoc. I'm going to let him have a field day at our home today. We would never say that. It sounds dirty to say that, doesn't it? But when we allow anger to control our lives, it gives Satan a foothold. It opens up the door just enough for him to stick his foot in, and then there's a gap, and now we can't get the door closed. And you know you know what I'm talking about, because as soon as you say something, you can't take it back. Then you're dealing with what you said from that point on. It always comes back up in arguments. It's always remembered. It always hurts. There's insecurities from that point on. And so now, from what you said years ago, you will have to constantly make sure that you reassure and affirm in the opposite direction according to what you said. Satan has a field day with stuff like that. And he just feeds division, and he feeds animosity, and he feeds anger, and he feeds hurt, and he feeds resentment in that crack. And one day, he'll just stick a crowbar in. He'll pry it on open because he's got a foothold in the door. Anger gives Satan a foothold into our lives. It gives Satan a foothold into the church. It's so dangerous for us to let that happen. And we're not just talking about, I say, spouses and children and friends and siblings and coworkers. But dude, it even happens inside the body of Christ. We get mad at each other. You spend enough time with each other, you're going to get mad at each other, right? We're people. We're not always going to agree on everything. 
We're not always going to like see things from the same perspective as people, but we have to be careful because when we allow anger to control us, it gives Satan a foothold. Proverbs 19, verse 11 says, Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. You remember I said a while ago, this is not a sermon to call you to be pushovers and cowards and let people just take advantage of you. You remember that? But there's great respect to be earned by people who overlook other people's wrongs. There's something that speaks to people that really speaks to people that you are mature enough to let somebody get the best of you in something and that be okay. You ever seen a sore loser? You hate to play with a sore loser? Anybody ever hate to play with a sore loser who just loses and they can't stand it and they pitch a fit? I'm a sore loser. I have people who are laughing at me right now who know me really well. I'm a sore loser. I hate losing. It's so much more fun to play with people who are okay with losing. I really like to play with them. If they're okay with losing, you beat them, it's fun. I have a good time, they have a good time. It's not fun when I play with another sore loser and I win and then they lose and they get mad about it and they quit. I like playing, so I want to keep playing if I'm winning especially. It's okay to be mature, spiritually mature, and allow other people to take advantage of you in some ways. People are going to do stuff to hurt you intentionally, unintentionally. They're going to say things without thinking, right? I mean, we do it, don't we? You know, the whole aspect of the Lord's Prayer, forgive others as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. The, the whole concept is to, that it, it's a reciprocating thing. Like, forgive us as we forgive those. Like, we're called to be forgiving other people. We're called to overlook wrong that people do to us. We gain respect by overlooking people's wrongs. Ecclesiastes 7 9 says, Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. There's that fool again. You look at the whole concept of anger and you look throughout Scripture, it's constantly accompanied with foolishness. We love to say what's on our mind, we love to tell people off. We love to pitch a hissy fit and show, oh, they'll never want to do that again. But the whole time, we're being labeled as a fool. All of you know somebody in your life who's like a hothead, flies off the handle, always mad about something, and people just walk on eggshells around them, basically just gives them what they want, not because they like them, just because they don't want to have to deal with them. They're labeled as a fool. They're foolish people. And while the consequences of their anger may not catch up with them immediately, eventually it always does. They end up doing something dumb or saying something dumb and hanging themselves along the way and costing themselves something that's really important. I remember a few years back, um, I had a poor experience with a store that we were ordering some of the stuff for our, for our house with. I've probably told you this story, but you know it's funny how God looks out for us in some ways because this isn't like 15, 20 years ago like the other story. I'm like 30 by this time. I'm 30-something years old. We'd ordered a bunch of stuff, a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of things happened. We were sitting there, had people working, and 
didn't have the materials to complete the job and called down there and they tried to sell me the materials that was supposed to be with the other materials. It's a whole mess of stuff, like months worth of stuff leading up to this point. And I finally called these people and I was like, look, I was like, I'm coming down there and I want to talk to the store manager. I don't care who it is. I want to talk to the store manager and they better be there waiting on me whenever I get there. And so we're in the truck. I'm on the way down to the store. I'm furious. I'm speeding, going like 90 miles an hour, as long as my truck would not like cut out and keep me from, you know, you know they have the chips in them now, it won't let you go so fast. I'm furious. And I'm over there like, Lord, don't let me go to jail. It, was, it wasn't like, Christ, Lord, let me be honoring to you. Let, let me lift your name high in this moment. I was like, God, don't let me go to jail. And Hannah's over there, James, calm down. James, calm down. You're a pastor. You can't act like this. I'm just like, shut up. And she made it so much better, right? I'm so angry at the time. It's like, you be quiet. I don't need reminding that I'm a pastor at this moment. I'm ready to go set this store on fire. I'm like, somebody's going to know my fury. And I get there, and sure as the world, as soon as I walk in the door, Austin's over there working. And he comes up, and he starts talking to me, and I was furious. One of the teenagers in the youth group at the time comes up and starts talking to me. I'm just like, Austin, go away. I'm like, I don't want to talk to you right now. And he was like, come up, talk to me. He's like, hey, how you doing? I was like, I'm mad. Like, you need to go. I'm about to have this conversation. This door is going down. Like, it's done. Then as soon as I can get rid of him in, in my great display of Christ-likeness, the store manager comes over and it is somebody that I went to high school with. And not only was it somebody that I went to high school with, his dad was on the board at Eden, where I served at before, and I loved and greatly respected his dad. And I'm just like, dang it, Matthew. I'm like, Matthew, I'm so mad right now. I'm just like, and I just like had to really just shut it down at that point because I knew I was not going to be able to just lay into these people, tell them what I thought about them, talk about all this stuff, just like it was done. And it wasn't because I was spiritually mature or, or, or ready to go into this situation. But on that day, thankfully, God like brought the right people in place to really just kind of bring it to a calmness of saying, like, okay, like you need to do this in a mature way. And so when I saw those people and they came and it came into play, I'm just like, look, I, 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 had, I was so mad that I could not even function. I just like had to take a breather so I could like reset everything I'd already planned to say. You ever do that? It's like, this is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to jail today. I'd made it up in my mind. And I had to reset everything. And I had to sit there and just have like a calm. And he knew that I was angry. Like he could tell. And I was just like, explained everything, talked about it. And it was resolved. And I can remember leaving the store and just thinking like, 30, 40 minutes later, thinking, God, thank you for putting those people there. Thank you, because I would have probably ruined my witness if they had not been there. There's no telling who might have been in the store, who would have seen me or heard me yelling or screaming or acting like a fool. And it's so important for us to have control over those things. And I've not always had control. You know, I say this is something that I've really struggled with in my life. Um... There was a time in ministry several years ago where we were in a meeting and like legit, I had every reason to be angry. Like till this day, 10 years later, I had every reason to be angry. Like we were really mistreated, really done a wrong way. And I lost it in a meeting, in a church ministry meeting. And 
told the people exactly what I thought, slammed my notebook shut, said, done, like I'm not talking about it anymore. Said things about the other people who wronged us that I shouldn't have said. And it cost me. I was removed from that ministry position, something that I really loved to do and I felt very called to do. I was removed from that position because I let my anger control me and I sinned in my anger in that moment. It wasn't wrong for me to be angry about it, but I let it control my life and I lost it. And it cost me something that I loved dearly in my life. And it was one of the hardest lessons I've ever had to learn, but a lot of times the hard lessons we learn teach us the most. It was one of the turning points in my life in keeping my anger controlled and taking the time to really think and pray and ask God exactly how to handle certain things. Proverbs fifteen eighteen says, A hot-tempered person starts fights and a cool-tempered person stops them. There's a calling in our life to be peacemakers. You remember the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers for they will inherit the kingdom of God. All of the New Testament, there's a common theme in the New Testament. It talks about unity. Unity in the body of Christ. Unity among brothers and sisters in Christ. It speaks to it so much. And we forget about that so many times because we don't agree on things and we want to display how unhappy we are with situations and circumstances. And it's one of the most difficult things to know where that line is and to know how to do it in a healthy way. And I haven't figured, like I'm, I'm saying this this morning, like I haven't figured that out yet. I haven't figured out like where that line is and, and how whenever you get angry, how do you go to someone and how do you do it in a godly way that brings glory and honor to God in saying, okay, I'm unhappy about this, I'm angry about this because whenever we're angry, we don't talk like I'm talking right now, do we? We don't think normally. We just act. But we're called to control it or it will control you. It's all about godliness. It's all about righteousness. That's the thing about it. You have to want, you have to want righteousness more than you want to satisfy the urge within you to vent your anger. And point number three, your temper is a dangerous thing. One of the things that Scripture constantly refers to is how dangerous letting our temper and our anger get the best of us. It is very, very dangerous. One word, one word can ruin a relationship for the rest of your life. One thing that you say to somebody, one thing that you say to your kid, one thing that you say to your parents, one thing that you say to a spouse, and it's always easiest with the people that you love and you know the most because you know what would hurt them the most. And when you're angry, you're always tempted to target the most vulnerable points, don't we? We do. One word, one action. There are people who are serving time in jail right now because of one action. They gave in to anger in a moment whenever it's not who they are as a person, but they're paying for it with their life, literally. Guys, you have to understand that whenever we allow anger to 
to take control of our life, we're giving Satan a foothold. We're giving Satan control in our life. Satan wants to destroy you. God wants more for you. God wants to give you life. This is why he calls us away from anger. And your temper is like carrying around a can of gas. You know, it's like, imagine, it's like you got a, got a bucket of water and you got a can of gas. And you go around, and on any given day, people are going to be trying to light you on fire. And you have a choice. Do I take my bucket of water out and I douse that fire out? Or do I take my gas out and just sprinkle a little bit of fuel on the fire? The only problem with gas is that when people start throwing gas on fires that are already lit, what usually happens? You end up burning yourself more than you do whatever else you're trying to set on fire. Proverbs 50, or chapter 15, verse 1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Anger gives birth to anger. You know, you, you look at this. When you respond to somebody, you tell them off, you, you, you think, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm not putting up with this, and blah, 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 blah. You, you always make it worse. And you might get the best of them in the moment, but they always come back later because you've mistreated them. Animosity gives birth to animosity. You think about countries going to war. You think about the, the old Hatfield and McCoy's uh, history story. You think about... Everything in life, even relationships, even like fights between you and your spouse, between children. It's like eventually you come to the point one day where you've been mad at each other so long, you can't even really remember what started it. And you're just like, well, you did this. No, 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 no. I did that because you did this. Well, I did that because you did this. And then it's like whenever you got a new argument right now, you're tracing everything back, trying to find the origin of the thing, and you can't find it. And Satan's just sitting there like... Got them chasing their tails. He'll never catch it. Because he's got a foothold in your life. God did not create you to spend your life being angry about stuff back there. God has called you to go there. God has not called you to look back. God has called you to look forward. That's why forgiveness is so important. It's so important in your life. Because the whole time you're hanging on to the past and you're angry and you're focused on that, you'll never be where God wants you to be now and where he's taking you. you got to remember that God wants something more from you, but he also wants something more for you. And that's not an easy thing. Proverbs 22, verses 24 through 25 says, Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. The truth is, is we are a lot weaker than what we like to admit that we are. As people, we are very impressionable. And it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're a teenager, young kid sitting in here today, you need to understand you're very impressionable. You will be like the people you hang around. The old saying says, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There's so much truth in that. But it's not just for teenagers, it's for us too. From, from the oldest to the youngest in here, whoever you hang around is who you're going to be like. You'll go to the same restaurants and eat the same food. You'll talk about the same things. You'll use the same words. You'll dress alike. You'll, talk, you'll, you'll go shopping. Like everything that you do, you'll find the same hobbies. The people that you are around are the people that you're going to act like. 
And this is why Solomon says, don't even befriend angry people. Because you'll be like them. And you'll endanger your soul. Do not put yourself in danger. You see somebody acting like something that you know that's wrong, you need to run from that person. You're a young person today. You're trying to figure out who you want to be, who you, who you want to be like. You need to find somebody who you want to be like. Do not be afraid to let go of people in your life. And I say that with all the, the, the hesitation and discernment on Father's Day. You might even have parents in your life that are bad influences. Like some of you know, there are people in your life, even parents can be bad influences. You need to be able to let that go in order to pursue Christ in the life that God has for you. Some of the greatest lessons we'll ever learn is learning what not to do. You with me today? It doesn't mean that you don't love them. It doesn't mean you don't care about them. I have plenty of friends that I went to school with that I love and I care for. I still pray for them, but I don't spend time with them. I can't. We're just on two totally different ends of the spectrum. But that's the way that God intended it to be. God created you to be vulnerable. I don't know if you ever thought about that before. But God knew that we would fall into sin. He knew that we would fall into the ways of the world and that we would need to be saved. We would need to be changed. God created us to be people who would be accepting and and able to be influenced through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that same susceptibility also offers us up to things of the world. If you hang around people of the world, you're going to be like people of the world. That's why Jesus formed the church. If you hang around other Christians, guess who more than likely you'll act like? Other Christians. (coughs) And when you look at anger, you can't just bottle it up. You may not ever say a cross word to somebody. You may not ever throw something. You may never break something. You may never punch a hole in the wall. You may never get physical. But if you sit here this morning and there's anger in your heart and it's just bottled up and you're not dealing with it and you're not giving it to God and you're not surrendering to Him, you're no more healthy than anyone else. You may not feel the same consequences and you may not get the same reactions from people, but inside here you are rotting away. And you can never have the relationship with God that you need to have because you're clinging to something that God has never intended you to cling to. We need to be able to take that anger and say, God, because there, guys, there are things in your life that people have done to you that is absolutely wrong. And the other seven point something, almost eight billion people in the world would sit there and say, yes, they were wrong. They should have never done that to you. You are absolutely okay to be angry in this moment. And anger is okay. But we have to be willing to let that go. We can't cling to that for the rest of our life. You have to be willing to say, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't let go of this on my own. I need you to help me let go of this, to not be angry anymore because it's killing me on the inside. It's killing me in my physical life and it's killing me in my spiritual life because I'm just clinging to this and I can't, I can't be happy because I know that I can't be forgiven if I haven't forgiven them. I know I can't be happy because I'm constantly thinking about them and what they did. And chances are, it's hurting you more than it is them. 
Because they've probably asked for forgiveness. They've probably tried to move on in their life. They probably regret what they did. And they're trying to move on and live life and serve the Lord to the best of their ability. And here we are clinging to it, holding on to it, not letting go. And we're the ones suffering from it. We have to cry out to God because we're not always going to be capable of doing this on our own. You remember the saying, through Christ all things are possible? Do you really believe in God's word? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, Jesus said, But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. I mean, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is telling the people, like, look, if you're even mad at someone, if you're angry with them, you're subject to judgment. You're in a dangerous place. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. When you read this passage, you think about, man, like how many times in my life have I been close to the fires of hell because I've cursed people and I've called them idiots? And so he goes on to say in verse 23, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And so this is a little hard for us to imagine because we don't have the temple anymore and we're not offering sacrifices anymore. But think about this. You come every Sunday to church, and this is kind of like the temple, okay? Like we, whether you think that or not, like it's still kind of the same concept. We come to the temple, we come to God's house, and we try to worship. And today, instead of offering animals as sacrifices, we're called to be living sacrifices to God. So you're supposed to come and offer yourself to the Lord every Sunday when you come and worship. That's the whole concept of the thing. That's what you're supposed to be doing whether you knew it or not. And you come to the temple, you come to church, and you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, and there's no telling how long many of us have been coming, and there's animosity <clears throat> there's hatred, there's hurt, there's pain, there's anger between you and someone else. And Jesus said, if you're there and you're doing this, you're offering your sacrifice to the Lord, leave it there. Go and be reconciled to that person and then come back and finish later on because that that's in your heart and in your life and that animosity between you and them, that is going to hinder you from doing what I've called you to do and being who I've called you to be. He wants more from you, and He wants more for you. He does not want you to be limited in your worship of Him. It's not a matter of He's trying to put you under His thumb. He's trying to force you to be taken advantage of. He's trying to force you to be a sissy or a coward, or He's trying to force you to just be a whipping stick for somebody. He's wanting to lift you up out of the muck and mire, out of of this constant cycle that we live in, in sin, And rescue us from the consequences of it. And all that stuff, the anger, the animosity, whatever's between you and someone else, it hurts you so much more than it does them. There's never enough that you could do to them that it's going to hurt them more than it hurts you. You could go and kill them and take their life, and it would never hurt them as much as it's going to hurt you. Because you'll constantly have to live with the guilt and the shame and the separation from God as a result of the sin that you continue to allow to be in your life as a result of it. We're called to deal with our anger. We're going to be angry. 
you have to deal with it. You have to allow God, that we have to humble ourselves and allow God to deal with it. Many of us can't do it on our own. There's a lot of us who were raised to just unleash our anger, that that was a normal, okay thing. It took me a long time to realize it's not normal and it's not okay. It's not what God intended for us to be. Psalm 37, verse 8 says, Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Don't lose your temper. It only leads to harm. It only leads to harm for you. You're going to hurt other people along the way. You are. You're going to ruin relationships. You're going to damage things along the way. But in the end, it leads to harm for you more than it does anyone else. And it's harmful both physically and spiritually. It's going to bring about a lot of things in your life that are just bad for you in general. It's going to lead into a lot of other things. The consequences of sin always lead into other things. But it's going to lead into a lot of spiritual results as well. As we close out today, I want to read one final passage to you. This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. Paul writes to the church. And he says, You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. Past tense. When you were a part of the world, you used to do these things. But now it is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Now's the time to get rid of it. And when you look, anger, rage, malicious behavior, all this stuff goes together. Like you start slandering, you start, you know, saying things that aren't right, dirty language and malicious behavior. You start doing things to intentionally hurt and aggravate other people when you get angry, right? You know, we we were in Mayo driving the other night. We were eating supper. It was really funny This woman comes up. She didn't realize that we went to church anywhere. She didn't realize I was a pastor. She invited us to her church. I was like, oh, cool. She's, you know, good job for her. She invited us to church doing some ministry. Then she started talking bad about somebody from her church. (laughs) And I was like, I was sitting there thinking, like, what caused her? Why would she do that? Like, why would she invite you to church and talk bad about somebody from there? And it's like, we, we forget a lot of times that, like, when we have anger and animosity, we can't help but verbalize it. And, you know, she didn't say that she was angry. She didn't say that she was hurt, but she spoke illy of someone, of someone else. And you could tell probably there was some hurt there. Like that person had hurt her, disappointed her. And it was really sad because basically it's just like there's just something there that hasn't been dealt with. Otherwise, she wouldn't be talking about it. I want you to think about the people that you might talk bad about. The things that you might say, and it's like, I just, I just don't like them. Why? Why is it? And, and to come to the understanding and be humble enough in your life to say, okay, God, all right, I believe in you. Do you really believe in God? You really believe in the power of Jesus Christ? You really believe in the fact that He healed the sick? made the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. He raised the dead back to life. You really believe that? And if you can kind of come to the conclusion that, okay, God, it's hard to believe, but I believe it. Why in the world could he not help you to forgive someone? Why in the world 
could God not help you to overcome this hurt, this pain, this animosity, this anger that's built up in your life? We serve a God that Scripture says through Christ all things are possible. Why do we not live by that? Why do we not cling to that? Do we really love being mad and angry and bitter so much that we would rather hang on to it than hang on to Christ? It's just something you have to think in your life and just like, okay, like there are people out there who's done some really jacked up stuff in the world. Some people who's really hurt you more than you ever deserved. But you can't change it. And God has not called you to go back there. God has called you to go forward there. He wants to call you away from this. He wants you to give this to Him and allow Him to heal you. And in doing so, we receive the forgiveness and the healing that we need in the process. But we're so blinded by it. It controls us so much that we can't see that and comprehend it. And it's not easy. Like, I'm not sitting here telling you this, like, oh, this is real easy. Y'all should go home and do this. This won't take no time. This may take months and years of praying and humbling yourself and submitting yourself to God and say, God, help me with this. This is still there. God, I need your help with this. And constantly going back to him and praying and asking and begging him and the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to work and move in your life and help you overcome this thing that's been controlling your life for so long. Because chances are, it's been a part of your life so long, it's like, it's like part of you. It's part of who you are. And then you have to change that. You have to relearn to be different. You have to learn to be a totally different person because so much of who you are has been wrapped up in the hanging on to something that God has always intended for you to let go and leave behind. But God has called you to be so much more. He wants so much more from you, but He wants so much more for you. And that's what we have to cling to. We don't talk about it a whole lot, but man, it has so much influence in our lives. It has so much, so much influence in our lives. So much control. Not because it should, but because we give it control. I just want to challenge you today. When you seek the Lord, when you seek, when you pray, when you come to church, when you think about honoring Him and glorifying His name, how much anger is present in your life? How much animosity, how much tension is between you and other people? This is going to affect not only your physical life, but your spiritual life more than we could ever imagine. And humbling ourselves and allowing God to work on this in our life might be one of the biggest game changers that we ever experience in our spiritual relationship with Christ. Let's pray. I'll let you go. Father, thank you for this day. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here to read your word. And Lord, I just thank you so much for letting your word be affirming. And Lord, just constantly repeating the same teachings and the same concepts over and over again to reaffirm the things that anger does in our life. Father, I pray that you would work and move in our hearts. If there's anything there, help us to overcome it. Lord, not through our power, but God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need your help in so many of these things in our life. I pray that you would work and move, and God, that you would do things that we never even thought possible, that we could never even imagine. Lord, we trust in you today, and we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. You're dismissed today. Thank you.